I'm Brendan Kearney, and you're listening to the Belgian Smack Podcast, where we explore the world of Belgian beer. Christoph van den Busse was a heating engineer, carrying out technical work for bigger breweries and assisting cafe owners in Bruges with the maintenance of their cooling systems. Before that, he had homebrewed with his friends, some of whom had studied chemistry at university and could offer insight into fermentation. Van den Busse comes from a farming background and in 2011, armed with engineering skills, experience in malting and homebrewing, a large network of beer sellers and cafes and a very strong work ethic. He built his own small brewery in the north of Bruges and called it Brauerei Fort Lapin after the architect who constructed the fortifications there. Fort Lapin brew classic Belgian beers. Van Abus's lineup includes a triple, a quadruple, a double, a wit beer, a rouge, a winter beer, and a creek. He makes beers for what he refers to as local people the regulars in Bruges who enjoy the familiarity of the Belgian styles in which he focuses. Van den Busse is a single-minded guy. He knows what he wants to do and he doesn't really care what people think about him. In conversation, he is to the point and honest. His beers exhibit that no-frills character, this life experience, this balance. In our chat, we talk about the growth of Fort Lapin and Van den Busse's obsession with making beers for local people as opposed to beer geeks or international markets. We discuss the construction of his traditional Belgian ales and the ingredients he uses. And we explore the dichotomy of his championing brewers as opposed to those who contract beers, while at the same time brewing beers on contract for others in his own brewery in order to make his business work. Sit back, listen and enjoy Christophe van den Busse of Brauerei Fort Lapin. You're from a brewery called Fort Lapin. Yeah. That's in the city of Bruges. Yeah. What is the beer scene like in Bruges? <laughs> a difficult question. Um, the beer scene. Well, a little bit what some say it's old fashioned, but uh, uh, local people like uh, the traditional things. So, so how, ma- like how many breweries do you have? And is there like, uh, I mean, the profile is obviously, there's quite a lot of tourists to come to Bruges. Yeah. So there is quite a lot of cafes. Yeah, yeah. The main breweries would be Halvemann. Yeah. Um, Burgundy de Flanders. Yeah. And Fort Lapin. Yeah. So kind of, I mean, does it have a strong beer scene or is it dominated by those big, the, the sort of the bigger breweries? I think about 90% is owned, not owned, but uh, dominated by uh, the biggest brewery and uh, like my prediction is only 2% of, of them. And uh, the other brewery, well, there's a, a little bit of discussion that it's a real brewery, but I think they brew, but uh, um, no, it's it's hard to get more um, customers because most of the places are owned by big breweries and uh, that's the way it works in Belgium, so. So the Halveman would be quite strong in Bruges? And yeah, they are. 
the biggest, strongest. Yeah, and intentionally, like they want to be the, the Bruges brewery. They say they are, so, yeah. And can I mean, what is your relationship, if any, with the other Bruges breweries? Relationship. I don't have problems with them and I don't think have, they have problems with me because I'm still small, so I'm not a competitor, I think. Yeah. And the profile of the beer would be, like you say, a classic, more yeah, traditional. Yeah, yeah. So the Halvemann have their uh, Bruce Zot, which is kind of a, I guess, a, a classic Belgian blonde. Yeah, more commercial. More yeah. commercial. The Strafe Hendrik then would be their kind of triple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Burgundy de Flanders have kind of a mixed fermentation yeah. um, beer. Where do your beers fit in then in Bruges? Well, it's, it's all traditional styles because the main objective is not to do export. I want to sell to local people. I'm a small local brewery and um, I made a few other recipes that I, than the recipes that I started with and I changed them on the demand of the customer. So we have a lot of local customers and uh, that's the reason I don't make an IPA. In the first place, I don't like them very, very much, but uh, local people uh, don't do that too. So I make a beer for local people. So you have quite a number of beers, I think. You have uh, triple, double, quadruple. Eight for the moment. Eight, eight different beers. It will stay like that. Yeah. If uh, uh, there's something new, someone, uh, some, another one will disappear. Okay. Yeah. And of the eight, which do you see as being your most kind of popular with, with the, the local? The triple, yeah. Why, why do you think that is? It's every brewery in Belgium has a triple. And local people, it's... They are, the, perhaps the customers are more traditional. So they come into a brewery and they see something like a triple and they know what they will get. And people want to buy a thing with a certain guarantee. So it's it's like um, because yeah it's it's a common beer and they they kind of it's are more familiar beer. with yeah. it yeah and a triple is always a little bit similar to another triple like with the cherry beer it's it's different or it's very sweet very sour so people uh, first want a, a small sip but with a triple and they don't take any risk yeah, yeah. and that's so, how Flemish people are yeah, yeah. so you see like um, you know in the states for example every brewery will have their IPA and yeah. in Germany most will have some sort of, of a pills or a lager beer. Yeah. In Belgium you think that it's the triple is kind of the the beer that everyone has in their armory? Yeah. Well I think in the past in the 60s and 70s uh, a lot of breweries tried to make some something similar to the IPA and, and they returned back to the triple, the double, the traditional styles. Because it's it sometimes, I don't think it's a hype in the US because it takes uh, uh, since a, it's a, since a, a few years uh, there, the IPAs, but uh, um, on the long term, uh, the the people change their minds or the taste will, will change, and uh, um, I think they all go back to a certain basic, and those things are basic like triple and quadruple. So if you if you're talking about maybe there's less diversity in how triples are constructed in Belgium yeah. as opposed to other beer styles. Yeah. Can you run us through, just for people that are interested in, you know, how to build a triple, what you're doing in terms of your malt, your hopping, your fermentation? Yeah. The whole recipe, the whole process. Yeah, just yeah. To, to give an indication as to... 
my tri- my triple is is made of ninety five percent of uh, pills malt, five percent of wheat malt, because uh, when you have a beer of eight percent, um, it can have an, an aroma that is too uh, alcoholic, and um, because of the wheat, it's easy drinkable. That makes it sometimes a more dangerous beer because you don't get the impression that it's eight percent. But um, yeah, um, the fermentation. Or what uh, yeah. Else? So, but for, for the malt, are you getting those um, from Belgian malteries, or are you getting not anymore? I try to make or to use as much as possible local ingredients. So all the the hops that I use are uh, all Belgian hops. Mm-hmm. And um, in the past, it was a Belgian malt factory that is did the delivery, but mm-hmm. now it's a Dutch uh, because it's more local than the. It's only fifty kilometers to the Dutch. It's not all, only about distance, but quality too. Yeah. So, and they use more locally grown uh, barley than the other one. Yeah. So it's not because it's a, a Belgian malt factory that they use Belgian malt yeah. or Belgian barley. And are you um, sort of utilizing a multi-step mash scheme or how are you kind of extracting? Multi-step, yeah. Well, we start at 55 degrees Celsius and um, just for a few minutes and then we leave it uh, rest on 63 and to convert the biggest part of the of the starch into maltose and then uh, on 72 all the rest of the starch and we uh, raise the temperature at 78 and then we pump it over to the filter term the louder term yeah the yeah and um then in the boil what hop varieties are you selecting and you, i guess you're using mostly bittering addition or are you also using an aroma addition we yeah, we have used both of them uh, northern brewer but locally grown. Mm-hmm. Um, is, that, is that from the Westhook or from? From the Westhook, yeah. Um, locally grown. So, um, Northern Brewer as a better hop and um, as an aroma hop, uh, Stream Golding. Mm-hmm. But Belgian too. Yeah. And did you ever play with the idea of using something New World or that wasn't um, sort of more classic, noble or, or English hop varieties? If I can find it local, I will buy it local. Yeah. yeah. Just at the end of the boil, we use a little bit of coriander, and I don't think it grows in Belgium, mm. and not in the, in the quantity that we we need. Yeah. But uh, we we added a few minutes before the end of the boil just to give a certain aroma to the beer. And does that also contribute to spiciness? Well, we use it all in small amounts. Um, it's very easy to throw too much in it to have a certain coriander aroma, but uh, that is a little bit too much. Um, but it's it's. Harder to make a well-balanced beer and, uh, than to make something extreme. And I have, a, I think I have a little bit of experience. So I'm, I'm was a home brewer since uh, 25 years. And um, in my place, it's always the purpose to make well-balanced beers. And then when you get to kind of pitching and fermentation stage, um, what are you looking for from the yeast that you select? It has to give a certain fruitiness to the beer. So like banana, apricot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ah. typical Belgian triple flavor. Yeah, and does it give any spiciness as well? No, not too much, not too much. Yeah. And then tell me how you're, how you're fermenting and conditioning before you package. Um, we do the first fermentation, but it's uh, all in uh, CCTs, cylindro conical tanks, and uh, it stays in for in total four weeks. So we, we have the first fermentation. It takes about eight to 10 days max. And then we leave it for another two weeks, and the last week we cool it down at three degrees Celsius. 
So we leave all the carbon dioxide out. So we have a still beer without uh, bubbles. And uh, we mix about 10 grams of sugar just before uh, filling uh, the bottles. Okay. So we pump it over into a bright beer tank. We mix the sugar. We connect it to the bottling uh, line and we fill all the bottles. So in, it's all bottles in 33 centiliters. It means about 3.3 grams sugar per bottle. We put a cron cap on and we move it to another building where we store it uh, on a temperature of 24 degrees Celsius to get the bottle conditioning. And it takes at least another two weeks. Yeah. So between the day that we brew and the day that we can sell the beer, it's uh, at least six weeks. Yeah. I mean, the bottle conditioning is something very common in Belgium that doesn't happen that much in other countries. I mean, are, do you see it delivering something in the beer uh, as opposed to just the carbonation? Yeah, it's a, it's a, t- a totally different beer. Um, some people think it's just the same beer with without the bubbles, but um, it's um, if you taste the beer just before filling the bottles, uh, you you don't think sometimes you will have a very good end result. But the beer is totally changed after those two weeks. Yeah. You're um, are you using a different um, sort of bottle conditioning yeast strain than you would? No, it's all the same. That's the reason I only take four weeks. If I would five uh, take five or six. I, I don't think I would have uh, um, e-cells enough to do the bottle conditioning. So you're relying what's there in suspension effectively yeah, to, yeah, to yeah. yeah. Okay, excellent. Um, so, I mean, that's the the kind of the, the way you're brewing and the type of beers that you have. Um, the brewery itself is called Fort Lapin, yeah. which is just on the kind of north side of Bruges. North side, right? yeah. So what, that's the name of the area in which you're brewing? Yeah. What's the story behind the name? Well, Lapin is the French word for rabbit, but um, it has nothing to do with it. It was the name of an architect uh, who constructed the fortification over there to defend Bruges from the Dutch invaders. And um, it was in 1664. So some people say it's a French name. It's not that local, but uh, it's there since more than 350 years. So it's a little bit local. And that's the, the spot. It's very well known in, in Bruges, uh, not in the first place as a brewery, but uh, as a as a, an area. And it's uh, in Bruges they say uh, Fort Lapping. Fort Lapping. Uh, yeah, it doesn't sound sound very French, uh, very French. But uh, yeah. and are, are you um, you're from Bruges originally? No, I'm, I was born in Yabig. It's at 10, 10 kilometers. Okay. In Belgium, that's not local. Yeah, so. yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. And is there a big difference between the Yabek dialect and the Bruxelles dialect? Yeah, I can't. I can't speak the the Bruxelles dialect. No, is it is it considered to be one of the stronger dialects in West Flanders or Bruges? Well, I don't think so. No, it's more older people that speak the the, the full hundred percent local dialect. Yeah, but uh, Yabek is in the middle between Ostend and and Bruges. It's a totally different dialect. So I'm something. Uh, yeah, I speak something in the middle. Yeah. yeah. And have you always brewed at the site of Fort Lapin where you're brewing now? Uh, commercially, or as a professional brewer, I did. Yeah, But I started brewing when I was living in another city as a student with a few colleague students. And um, Which city was it? Kortrijk. In Kortrijk. 25 years ago. So in the moment that uh, it was harder to start because now you have an internet, you have a Google, you find every recipe, all the material to start. And um, 25 years ago, perhaps internet existed, but... Uh, we didn't have a computer, so uh, we have to test uh, a lot of a lot of things. We made a lot of mistakes, but uh, from those mistakes, you, you learn sometimes the most. So, uh, were you using books, or how did you kind of get some basic information on on 
Well, um, the other colleague, uh, the colleagues, brewers, students were uh, uh, studying for a doctor. So they knew everything about uh, the chemistry, the, the science behind it. And uh, I'm the son of a farmer, so I could uh, get barley. We made our own malt. And um, I had a degree as a nutrition on that moment. So I could, uh, I could well stay in the steel. And we made a small, a small homebrew kit ourselves. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. And, and um, was your was your father farming barley on and other things or was well, he had cattle, uh, but um, most of the time uh, barley to, to sell. And this was yeah. in Yabika. Yabika. Yeah. Did you grow up on, on the farm then? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you went on to study uh, to be an electrician. I was an electrician that time, but um, um, my parents wanted me to, to quit school when I was eighteen. But uh, I wanted to learn more, and they, they told me, okay. Was that because they wanted you to help out on the farm? No, I had to work. One, my parents didn't have, a, didn't have a lot of money, so they wanted me to, to quit school. But um, I could go to university or an old uh, high school, or how do you call it, uh, if I paid it myself. And that was one of the reasons we started brewing. And if we had a bad result, we were distilling it. And, it's 25 years ago. Sure, sure. I can tell it, but uh, uh, that's the way we could afford our uh, our, uh, our degree. And um, when I quit school, I started uh, as a heating engineer, uh, my own business with uh, a few people. But uh, and you were doing that for for quite a while up until the brewery started, right? Uh, yeah. Well, the first two years I was working for for a boss, and um, we worked a lot for for other breweries because I was a technician and I knew how to brew. And that's always an advantage if you want to do a, an intervention in a brewery that you know how it works. And uh, I want always uh, um, wanted to have my own company. Uh, and uh, I started after two years as a heating engineer. Okay. I did it for 15 years. And so, so was that um, dealing with like cooling systems or what sort of, what sort of stuff were you... Uh, Air conditioning, uh, heat pumps. Uh, and did that also take you to a number of breweries? Yeah, but in that time, most of the breweries were very big. There was not a, like a craft brewery scene in Belgium at that moment. And this is what, what 20, 15 years ago? Um, more, I started more than 20 years ago, yeah. Um, and did it also take you into cafes? and? Uh, yeah, well, like bottle cooling systems. Uh, so uh, that obviously gave you a kind of a good network of people for when the brewery started. That was a big advantage. Uh, when I started the brewery, because a lot of people knew me, um, like hotels, bars, butchers, everybody knew me in Bruges. So uh, uh, when I started to sell beer, it was a big advantage. Yeah. Um, so you were home brewing, and then I think, so when did you actually start with sort of a commercial kit? Commercial? How do you mean? When like, I, uh, you, I, think you, I bought something uh, yeah, yeah. Did you have like a 500 litre kit to start? Yeah, but I built it myself. So I bought uh, an old uh, cooling system to, to cool down the, the milk. And uh, I weld... In fact, I was building it for somebody else, but he couldn't afford it. So on that moment, I, uh, with, with a number of reasons, I stopped... The, I, I didn't stop the other company, but I fired the people and I started the brewery. So I just changed uh, the activities yeah yeah and um, I kept uh, the the system for myself and I started a small brewery but I did all the, the welding myself everything is a uh, homemade yeah even the 
the machines. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And were you packaging then on a smaller bottling line or, or how were you? Well, the first two years it was all by hand. So after two years, at the end of uh, the second year, it was uh, 3,000 bottles a week. So every Saturday I was filling bottles. My wife did all the cron capping. Mm. And um, without labeling, so it took a whole day to, to fill 3,000 bottles. And uh, after two years, uh, my wife had a, a tennis elbow of, of closing the bottles. And then I had to choose or buying machine or another wife. <laughs> <laughs> Second wife was, was another. Yeah. Was she happy to kind of help you pursue this different business venture or was she you know, frustrated at like how well, sort of slow moving and difficult the, the, the job was? Um, what's, your, what's your wife's name? Uh, Charlotte. Charlotte. Yeah. Um, I shouldn't, didn't have a, a big problem with it because I, I did a, a few things in my life and she, I think she trusts me. And she, she was nearly never at home. She has a full-time job in Brussels. She, get, she gets up at five o'clock in the morning, she leaves. She's never at home before eight or nine in the evening. So um, we had two small children on that moment. Um, someone had to stay at home. And I started the brewery, so I was always at home. It was a, in fact, it was a good thing. Yeah. Um, so you had this, you had this kind of 500 liter kit and you had mostly manual and, and hand filling bottles. Yeah. And then you had a network of sort of cafes and, and sort of contacts that you could get the beers out there at the start. Well, Six years ago, nearly seven years ago, it was easier to go to a distributor to tell them I have something new. They want to, to buy it from me to, to do the distribution uh, because there was not a lot of competition over there back then. But now when you go to a distributor, they say, oh, you're the, the second or the third today. So it's a little bit too much. And uh, I'm happy I started that moment because uh, it's a lot harder um, this moment. Yeah, I mean, the, the, so, so you do see that there's a big difference in the number of breweries and the, the competition. In the well, not only breweries, but uh, uh, mainly, um, how do you say it in English, beer companies? Yeah. Um, beer firmas. Beer firmas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll get to that later. Yeah, okay. but that's another discussion. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when did you then make the decision that, okay, this is working and we should upscale the size of the brewery and really, you know, uh, increase production? Well, after three years, we saw it wasn't working. So we had to, to choose or to stop or to invest in a bigger brew house. It wasn't working in terms of the volume of beer financially well, that you could... Yeah, I didn't earn any money on it. But you were selling all the, all the beer? Yeah, but it was just too, too hard uh, to do everything, to, to start at five o'clock in the morning, to stop at 10 and to see at the end of the year you don't earn a thing. And it, it can be a hobby, but at the end of the year the, the, the bills has to, has to be paid. And um, yeah, it was decision to, to install a bigger brew house. So I made the design of a brew house and then they constructed it in, uh, in Italy. And um, all, all, the, all the parts, I did the, the final installation at home. And then now we can produce about 2000 liter instead of 500, nearly for the same price. Mm -hmm. And that makes a, a big difference. And so you have a, two, a 20 heck 2000 liter brew house and, and you also have double size fermenters. Yeah. So you're able to maximize in terms yeah, of Yeah, we can time. produce about 3,000 hectoliters a year, maximum. And last year I did nearly 1,500. That also means you need a kind of a step up in your sales logistics sort of setup as well. Are you mostly, are you mostly working with distributors? Well, it depends. Um, in the past, 
I never had to do some effort on, on the sales because I didn't have beer enough. And um, until last year, it was all on my own. Now, since two months, I have a one employee. And we will see you at the end of the year, but uh, the sales are going pretty well. So we will see what happens. We don't make a lot of plans at home. We see what happens. Um, you mentioned um, about um, the beer companies or beer firms. Yeah. I think, you know, in some conversations with you before, you've been pretty outspoken about your yeah. opinion on that. Yeah. I mean, what is it that you feel about it and why? Well, the moment I started and um, I thought everybody was making their own beer, but uh, perhaps I was stupid, nearly no one did. And uh, I was complaining about it, but only complaining doesn't help anything. So uh, instead of complaining about it, we, we told a few of those companies we can make beer for them. So we started to do that, uh, just adapting instead of complaining. And um, I shouldn't complain because I sell a lot of beer to them, but it's, it's sometimes bad for the people who want to start up a real brewery right now because uh, the competition is too hard and those people, uh, it's, it's very hard for them. Yeah. And that's a, that's a shame. Yeah. It's, it's, not, um, it's not something that seems to be an issue in other countries. It seems that in Belgium, a lot of Belgian brewers um, are more kind of um, yeah, upset about it than say brewers in other countries. Do you know do you know why that is or is it more is it more um, prevalent here than in the UK or the states or European countries? I don't know how it is in, in other countries. Perhaps the customer is more um, critical or how do you say it? Uh, um, yeah, critical. Yeah. 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 In Belgium they well, if it's good enough and it's not too expensive, the customer is happy. Yeah. It, it, in fact, it, it's not the fault of, of the, the brewer, but perhaps a little bit of the customer. Yeah. And is, is, it, is there an element of the um, deception in your kind of um, opinion? Because, you know, okay, it's fine to, to make it somewhere else with the plans for the future to have your own brewery because yeah. you're moving towards that. Um, or perhaps it's fine just to make it in another facility and be honest about that, that that's what you're doing. Yeah. Is, is it something to do with the fact that maybe people are trying to uh, deceive people into thinking that they're brewing it in their own facility and they're not brewing it themselves. I mean, is it, is it the fact that they're not brewing themselves or is it the deception element of it, is my question. It's easy to, to tell a nice story to the people and uh, people will believe it and you, you can sell it, but uh, it's not the way that I think. Uh, if I want to sell something, I just don't want to be a liar. That's the way I think. And uh, I think in, in the beer, I have, I have been a technician. I have never had those problems, problems, those things with uh, with with colleagues. But in beer, I think everything is uh, is allowed. Um, and even the big breweries tell a big story. It exists five hundred years, and people believe it. And it's the way it works. It's marketing. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, do do you think looking forward to let's say five, ten years into the future for for the Belgian beer market? Do you think it will continue as it is now, or do you think things will change? I'm sure things will change, but uh, we're a small company. I'm, I'm sure we can uh, adapt. Yeah, adapt. Yeah. But do you think there'll be more beer firms or less? I think less. Why? Well, the total 
amount of, of, uh, of liters that people drink in Belgium isn't growing. And uh, in the past, a lot of breweries did easy export to the US. I never did export to the US, but um, it's, it's all uh, getting less to do export because in every country there are better brewers, more brewers. So why would you buy something from Belgium if you find it local and it's good or good enough? And um, I think for those people, uh, like the beer companies, they, they, they have to ask more for, for the beer because they buy it from another company, from a brewery, they have to do the transport. It, it all has its cost. They want to earn something on it. So it will be harder for them, I think, to compete because of the prices. And even the small breweries, although the big breweries say they don't have the perfect quality or the, the, the best quality, um, the quality is changing in the small breweries too. In what way? It's improved a lot. Um, so what, why, why is that, do you think? Well, most of the small breweries started like five to ten years ago. They all invested in, in better, better material. Um, they more have a consistent quality, and that's important. Yeah. Um, so, so the number of liters of beer being consumed in Belgium stays the same? I think it's less every year. Less every year. And the larger breweries who are exporting um, to the US, mm. um, yeah, to, to other countries, they're, because of the growth of brewing in those countries, yeah. they're seeing some squeeze. I mean, do you, how do you see that playing out? Are they going to have to find other export markets or are they going to try and sell their beer in a very small country like Belgium? Yeah, well, I think for the moment they, they are changing countries where they export to, but uh, in every country there are more and more, even to China. In China there are more and more breweries. In Italy, a lot of Belgian breweries do export to Italy, but uh, they're coming good breweries over there. So on the long term they will have to sell it uh, in Belgium. And that's the the way I was thinking since the moment I started the brewery. So we do maximum 20% export and uh, most of my colleagues do only 20% in Belgium. Perhaps I have a certain advantage, but we will see because uh, we don't have the money like the big breweries have. And uh, So you mean advantage in that you, you have a good um, network and reach locally? Yeah, we British? always invested in the local market. Um, what was I going to ask you about? Um, yeah, it was more about sort of looking into the future and the the kind of the the dichotomy between contemporary and traditional. So you talked about more smaller breweries, many of whom are maybe brewing uh, less traditional beer styles. Yeah. Do you see that sustaining or being people trying to have a more international outlook? Or do you think in Belgium the triple will always be king? I think it will always be king. It will be always a, a good basic, I think, yeah. Do you see things like, um, you know, uh, IPAs and stouts or maybe other international styles being more of a fad or do you think they're, they're enjoying a renaissance in, in niche markets that will always be around? Well, the, the specialty beer scene in Belgium is not that big. So if I make a thousand liter of, of IPA, it has to be sold within a month. Otherwise the best of the beer is gone. And the, the Belgian beer scene is so small that, that it's hard. And local people don't, don't want those things, so yeah. Do you have um, colleagues or f uh, friends that you're kind of would 
um, call up or ask advice or chat to about in the Belgian beer world? I have a, a few colleagues who will call me uh, if they have technical problems. Uh, I never go there. In other breweries? In other breweries. Um, mainly small breweries. And if I need like ingredients or something, I, I'm sure I can call them. Yeah. Um, and what, who, which breweries are those ones? Uh, like the Plucker. Yeah, that's Yoris Gambi. Yeah. And are you also buying hops from... from no, no. Well, the moment I started, I knew him, but uh, it was not possible back then. Yeah. And um, because he sold his, all his hops to a, a British company. Yeah, and for palatizing. But it was difficult. It was uh, too complicated. So I, we never did. And now I have a, a good uh, uh, hop grower. Um, and I bought the hops... 25 years ago from the same man. Okay, so... Yeah. It was the only uh, hop farm who wanted to sell uh, small amounts of hops yeah. to, to a, f- a few stupid students. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, you've obviously... That's, what, 25 years ago? You've, co- you've come quite a long way from the, the stupid student to yeah. the kind of having your... your stupid brewery. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the brewery at the minute, so, you, I mean, is, your, is you have a full-time employee now? Um, and you have uh, are, what, what sort of stuff are they responsible for? Are they doing sort of production assistance or he helps, he helps me brewing, uh, even deliveries. He has to do everything. Yeah, and then is your wife uh, Charlotte also still involved? In no, she has a full time job. But uh, we started a few weeks ago uh, a bed and breakfast next door, and to do like more beer tourism because we we have a lot of uh, visitors in the brewery. Um, and that's, that's a part of the business too. Bruges is very touristic. But uh, on the other side, we, we can show a real brewery to the people. We don't have to hide anything. And um, that's the reason we started the Bed and Breakfast and do brewery tours. Uh, it's always open on Saturday, but on a point, everything is possible. So on, on busy times in the city, how many people are you getting in for tours? Or how many people are coming through in, into the On brewery? a Saturday, we have... A, it depends on the weather. When it's very nice weather, people prefer to sit on a, a terrace. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, like, I'm not at home, at home today, but I think a few hundred, 200 people, okay. something like that. So quite a few people come. Not all for, to visit the brewery, but they have a drink in the end of the... So it's a small cafe. In the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you're doing tours of the brewery as well to explain yeah. process and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what's the profile of the, of the visitor? Is it local or are you also getting international? When tours? we started... Um, I was astonished where people came from uh, because we have 90% were tourists and now more and more local people come. Okay. And in groups to kind of just see where the beer is made and taste yeah, all the yeah. beers. And I think I'm one of, of the the few brewers who do the, the brewery tours themselves. Okay. So people can ask me any, everything they want, but I can't promise to answer. But <laughs> And it's uh, do, do you ever get, um, I presume you get some Americans in? Some from the UK, yeah. Scandinavia. Yeah. Is there? Do you see any trends about where people are, are coming from? Um, we have a few groups from from the US, and mainly the people that come from the US come from Colorado. Okay, I don't know why, but uh, Colorado. Yeah. It's a yeah. Maybe it's a big beer state. Yeah. yeah. Or they have more money over there. I don't know. Yeah, to yeah. fly to Belgium. Yeah. And um, okay, well let's let's just talk about another beer then um, before we finish up. So the triple, the quadruple and the double are kind of, um, yeah, they're more classic styles. You're using different malts. Are you using the same yeast for, for all those beers? 
for all the beers, the same except the wheat beer. Yes, it's a different yeast and the cherry beer because it's based on the wheat beer. Yeah. So how are you, how are you building the the creek? The creek is um, it's it's a wheat beer, mm-hmm. but when we produce it, we use only fifty percent of the hops because it, we use sour uh, cherries, mm-hmm. and um, when the bitterness is too high, it doesn't match very good with the, with the sourness of the of the cherries, and um, we do the the head fermentation. Um, the first three weeks are just the same, and just before cooling down the system, we add uh, for one week uh, deep frozen cherries. In, uh, into the into the fermenter. fermenter. Yeah. So they ferment a few days, then we cool it down at three degrees Celsius, yeah. and we fill it in, into bottles. So I know most of the breweries in Belgium tell they use uh, all Belgian cherries, but uh, I just uh, called some somebody that I wanted the, the same cherries as the big breweries. And he sent me a few boxes from Poland, deep frozen cherries. Yeah, but there can also be Skarbeksi Creek because they grow those varieties in Poland and the Czech Perhaps, Republic. I don't know. But I have the same of most of the other breweries. And are they... Um, um, they're obviously not pasteurized. No, but they're deep frozen. Yeah, but so. is there a potential that there could be some uh, something wild in, in those? It's possible, but I never had some... Uh, Issues. Problems, yeah, issues, yeah. Okay, and that is that finishing as a kind of a, a sweeter Greek beer? Um, I make it, uh, first I make the wheat beer as sweet as possible. Yeah? So I don't add anything to it, no chemistry or no other sugars to make it sweeter. So it's a, the sweetest thing I can make mm-hmm. on a natural way. Yeah. yeah, and then you're adding in the cherries for the, for the cherry flavor yeah. and you have some sweetness then in yeah. the beer. And the, the cherries are without the pits, otherwise you get a, an almond taste. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't like it, so in the first place I make the beers to my taste. Yeah, and you mentioned that you're kind of not a, a, a fan, say maybe, of the, the IPAs or the Hop Forward stuff? No, not really, no. So, I mean, you have a beer called the Hoplapa? Yeah, the Hoplapa. It was, it was not an IPA, but it was more hoppy. But I changed it after, after the first batch. The, the name is still the same, but uh, just on the demand of the customer. Do you have ideas or plans at the minute for other beers that you might brew in the, in the near future? Um, well, I have eight different types and one of them is the winter beer, but now the winter is nearly gone. And um, I made a sour beer. It's called the summer sour, a kettle sour. Okay, so... Just so In fact, as a test, but it sells very well. And are you, are you putting um, some sort of uh, a, a cultured lactic acid bacteria strain? Yo- yogurt. So you're using... Oikos. Yeah. And then are you... Um, letting that ferment out overnight or how you... Uh, 12 hours. So we we make a brew, wort, and uh, we cool it down. We boil it first without hops because the hops work uh, antibacterial. And we cool it down at 40 degrees Celsius. We add uh, the yogurt for 12 hours and a part of the sugar is converted into um, lactic acid. Then we boil it again without, with the hops and we pour it into a fermenter. So it's, it's like pasteurized. Otherwise, you, you get a, yeah, so you're, a big you're, risk to, to get it in the bottling. You're bar. killing the lactic acid on your... The bacteria. Yeah, yeah, and you're uh, essentially preserving the pH level, so you yeah, just yeah. You pitch it. And the pH level is 3.2, so it's... Uh, and when you, when you um, are letting it sit and ferment overnight in, in the mash tun, I guess, or the kettle, are you uh, pushing CO2 on top of it? Or well, every hour, a little bit of CO2 to have a certain layer yeah. that uh, prevents uh, oxidation. And when you're pitching, you're just pitching your normal top fermenting yeast. Uh, no, another one, another one. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, I won't tell you which one, but of course. Of course. <laughs> okay, and that's that. Is that a lower alcohol beer? It's four point seven. Yeah. Okay. It's good as an aperitif. And something you'd be keen to brew again then? Yeah, but I was not really convinced that a lot of people would like it. I like it, but uh, it's the it's people who decide if it's good enough. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people like it, so. But that's not. Um, essentially a, a Belgian classic style really in terms no. of your lineup because I the, the I spoke to the Verzat guys recently and they were saying that you know they also have a kettle sword beer which is they say is considered by some of the mixed fermentation and spontaneous fermentation guys to be the devil um it's you know it's a, yeah because it's a, it's a safe solution for for a lot of their problems yeah. and i mean do you ever Worry about what other people will say about Fort Lapin, or do you not care? I never cared about anything, and I don't, also by, about me. What they, I don't care. Why not? I I grew up like that on a farm. We ne- never cared to, about what people said. I just do my thing, and I know I. They are not all friends, but uh, I don't care. So, yeah. it works. That's the the main thing. I do what I want. You do what you want, which is a, a great way to live. And um, last question is, um, do you love what you do? Yeah, otherwise I wouldn't do it. Yeah. That's a good answer. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Christoph, thanks a lot for talking to me. And uh, yeah, good luck with everything in the future. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Thanks for listening, folks. If you want to hear more, why not subscribe to the podcast? And if you liked it, we'd love it if you left a review on iTunes. If there's someone you know you think would enjoy it, please do recommend it to them. And if you want to keep up with our stories, resources and projects on Belgian beer and Belgian chocolate, sign up for our email updates on belgiansmack.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.